We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's True Faith Weekly Podcast. Today, post-Darby special with myself, Alex Hurst, Simon Campbell. We're joined on the line by both Mike Crean and Richie Smith. Uh, hello, lads. Very good. You're always going to respond at the same yeah. time. Um, just, I was just thinking. Most, I think this is the first time we've ever been joined by anyone else for a post Dolly podcast. It's normally just been me and you. Like, <laughs> while, while Ben recovers and Mickey recovers, <laughs> yeah. sounds about right. Yeah, uh, just start here really miserable. I think we're a little bit more beat this time. Um, I think Sunderland fans. Oh, hello to Sunderland Football Club as well. No, you guys welcome often, back. Yeah. Often listen after a derby. Um, Probably worth reminding listeners that Sunderland Football Club made us pull uh, our last Dobby podcast uh, to defend the honour of Adam Johnson, uh, who had already told them a series of things which makes their decision making rather questionable. But we'll move on. Not, not bit or anything. Uh, but yeah, hello to all the Sunderland fans that always tune in as well after a Dobby. Nice to have you on board. Uh, so there was a tight way at Dobby yesterday, Sunday. Uh, me and Si were there. Richie, did you get up for the game or did you watch it on TV? Yeah, I don't know whether it made better or worse for you in the being at the ground, but uh, we'll go into quite a lot of detail about the game and the team and what's going to happen moving forward, and we'll start with that, Richie. Has this draw ruined any realistic chance of staying up, considering everyone said it was a must-win and we didn't? Games that you expect Newcastle to win. The reality is, we 
games. Um, but, but you know, definitely if you look at our running compared to some of the Norwich, I definitely would favour ours, especially with our uh, additional game at hand. Um, in fact, I think that Norwich is running it actually looks horrific. If I'm being if I'm being brutally honest. Um, so n- no, it was not a it was not a good result at all. Even you know, coming you know, rescuing a point at the death. Um, but you know, I, I still think we've you know we're in there with a shout as much as uh, as much as someone in Norwich. Are. Yeah, fair enough. And um, we're just going to try and get Mike back on the phone. Sorry, if, did you hang up on him? <laughs> well, your house hung up on him. My house. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm still quite hopeful, Richie. A lot of people are talking about the games that we can and can't. Oh, I'm back. <laughs> I'm he's Mike. back. He's back. <laughs> um, yeah, people are saying, oh, well, how, you know, we'll have to win four out of eight games and we've won six out of 25 or whatever, more than that now whatever it is, all season 6 out of 29 or 30. Um, I think it's 30 games, is it? Yeah. Um, and that's that's right, but everyone else is presuming that Norwich and Sunderland will also win 4 out of 8 or 3 out of 7 in, in Norwich's case. And I, I, I just, honestly, I think, just like when the last time we went down in 09, 33 points, I think, would have kept us up. Um, and I think it'll be, about, I really do think it'll be about the same now. Now, Norwich, obviously, the big game is against us. Um, if Norwich win that, that's I can't. There's still a chance, I think, but realistically, it would be a miracle um, if we lost to Norwich and, and still stayed up. Sunderland play West Brom at home the same day, which is which complicates things massively. But I can't see that Sunderland team that I saw yesterday, who who just can't. We were dreadful, dreadful, um, and we managed to escape with a point more than the game itself later. But I can't see Sunderland winning, winning four of their remaining eight games. Particularly when you look at some of the fixtures they've got, they play Leicester, uh, Man United, I think Chelsea, so Arsenal possibly. Um, you know, you're basically asking Sunderland to win every single game against anyone who isn't kind of in the top six, which is a huge ask. Uh, and like you say, Richie, Nor- Norwich's fixtures are even worse. We have Spurs at home, we have City at home, Liverpool away, and Southampton away. I back us to get points away from home. are so organised now. I know it doesn't count for much in the, in the home games. We're going to have to be a lot better offensively. Um, Sai, what do you think about this? Staying up, going down? Um, obviously, I admire your optimism, as, as always, Dogger, because uh, I was sitting after that game thinking, although given where we were at half-time, I'm delighted with the draw, I just thought, we were saying before the game, we have to win this. And, like, and another match is watching, like, very few goal-scoring opportunities. You just think, how are we going to go to Norwich and, and anywhere else and, and win and win football matches? But I mean, the goal we scored against Sunderland came with with the two defenders having been taken off for two midfielders. We basically had four strikers on to get a goal. Like, are we going to go and do that at Norwich? <laughs> That's winning football matches, four out of eight or whatever it may be, three out of eight and a few draws, is a massive ask of this team. And not beating Sunderland yesterday. I think it's just, it's it, it's not over. It's certainly not over, but I mean, our chances of staying up have taken a massive hit just on that one result. I, I don't just think just you can... to, Sorry to jump in there, but just to, like, you, you boys have both the match and just listen to your talk there, uh, and the dog has used the word uh, dreadful to describe the performance, and I would, I would certainly, you know, uh, agree with that on the first half performance, but from the second half, you know, I did. I did see a team who were on the front foot, who were pushing, who were persistent, who, you know, did look fairly dangerous when they were going forward. That was my viewpoint. But, really? uh, you know, when you, when you talk about dreadful performance, 
seen us play a lot worse than that this season. So I think dreadful, personally for me, is a bit of a strong word to use. But you know, keen to kind of you know understand your thoughts on why you thought it was dreadful. Oh, Richie, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, that, the game yesterday, they, they were certainly the better team in the first half and deserved to be ahead at half-time. And we, yeah. we we definitely won the second half, so a draw was a fair result, but a draw wasn't the result we needed. So because we've performed a half-decent for one half, you know, that's, that's just not good enough. They they weren't very good. Jermaine Defoe aside, there's no one on that team that really, you know, think we shouldn't be able to handle. And yet for the first half, we just let them play. And we've done, that's no change on the rest of the season, and I, you know, I, I totally agree that the Benitez effect could still have a much bigger impact than, than we've seen so far. There has been some improvement, and he's only had the team that nine nine days before that game yesterday. Um, I'll quantify mine a little bit, and you're right, Richie. I was probably a bit strong there. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about the forget about to take away the, emotion, the emotional occasion. I just thought that the performance, and, and I'm going to slay Allardyce later on. Which I'll enjoy doing, but he got it. He got it spot on in the first half, which makes that capitulation in the second half even worse. But I just think I just saw a team in that first half that the, the, basically the first half was as bad as anything served up by Carver and Pardew in in similar fixtures. I don't attach any blame at all to Benitez whatsoever. Uh, he's working with severely damaged goods. Um, I just, I just like, I'm the same as I. I think we'll stay up personally, and it's also, it's a real positive, Richie. I don't know if you agree. Apart from Bournemouth, I don't believe we've picked up any points this season where we haven't been the better team, even slightly. We've, been, we've had. I've often said this about what well, problems up front. If you look at the West Brom game, um, you look at the West Ham game. The games we've actually done well. We have battered the opposition with minimal reward and it's almost like we have, we have to score these fantastic goals or these very good goals on the eye whenever we get a goal like Sunderland got which is the second goal from a set play I mean we nearly we actually nearly got one of those yesterday we're, we're only the good chance with Perez but I, I, I don't know I, I, it was encouraging I walked out of that game yesterday I, I, I was in the my corporate box and I had a, one of my mates along with his dad who supports Sunderland just because he's, he's a good friend of mine and we both walked out of that game, and I, you know, it was obvious who was happier with the result, me compared to him, and who was more optimistic about the future. And it was definitely me compared to him. Uh, so, and I think that goes for a lot of Newcastle fans. And I think, judging by Allardyce's reaction after the game, to I mean, no one really says this about him. He, he hangs his players out to dry Allardyce on a regular basis. Oh, yeah, he utterly blames them for any negative. He will not like accept responsibility, but. More on him later. Mike, if I just bring you in, I'm going to jump ahead in the running order here because I've realised I've put the, the relegation picture third uh, when it should be before we discuss the actual game. So, Mike, as a neutral observer, how do you see the relegation picture and do you think Palace are going to be dragged into it? Um, well, I think Palace are trying their best to be dragged into, aren't they? But I, I think that they've got to be able to stumble across the result or two just to, just to keep them up because they don't need too much more to um, stay ahead of the rest of the pack. Um, the, the, the most important thing I think is if you look at Norwich's, uh, Norwich's next three games they're, they're essentially going to be the, the king makers they've got um, yourselves Palace and Sunderland over their next three games um, if they get positive results there um, then that, that, that puts you in Sunderland in, in, in massive trouble so I think despite Norwich's lack of uh, lack of goal scoring threat I think they have got they have got a bit of togetherness you see in the team they have got that ability to, to, to pull together and fight 
I don't personally see Norwich going on a five or six. You know, if it's just say if Norwich beat us, then they've got Palace, then they've got Sunderland. I, I just don't see Norwich winning five games in a row. I don't see them being defensively good enough or offensively good enough. Um, they're nearly as bad as us. You know, they're, they're not going to have to win five in a row, though, are they? No, but I, I just think when you when you when you're a team of of Norwich's quality showing the performances Norwich have shown all season, they're massively inconsistent. They've Tended to follow up good results with it with a dreadful result, much like ourselves on Sunderland. It's t- tendency what happened when you were this end of the table. Any kind of positive result, they seem to hugely struggle next game. So I know where you're coming from, and you're right in your assessment that basically not Norwich have to get the next three games right because of the fixtures that follow. Much like they did um, under Chris Hooten the last time they were they were relegated. Um, not that that you know has a huge amount uh, you know effect, but. Do you, do you think um, you say you know you say Pardew's trying his best to, to get them down? I mean, let's not forget this is a Palace team that have managed to lose to Aston Villa this season, which was pretty special. Um, they haven't won this year. Haven't we're the only team in all four divisions? I think uh, not to not to win in two thousand. I think the only team in Europe of the, in the top five leagues not to win a game <laughs> uh, since since New Year. Can you, do you think? Do you think eventually something will, will click, Mike? I mean, you know, Palace have got game, the game against Norwich and the game against us, both away from home. I think. Oh no, they've got Norwich at home. Do you, Do you think it's realistic or not that, that they're going to find themselves in the Championship next season? Come in there, Mike. You do realise that Rafa Benitez is now the Newcastle manager, <laughs> not Alan Pardew. I, I also realise the players he's got to work with. <laughs> I, I don't think. I think it's that uh, it, it gives you a lot better chance than before. Obviously, well, it gives you a chance. I don't think it had a chance before, but um, I just think, yeah, I think Palace was a shocking run, but I think you can you can stumble across um, at the end of, towards the end of the season um, when certain teams are winding down. I think they'll. They'll, they'll just be alright um, and it'll probably be more a case of uh, what happens to the next season um, whether it's uh, a delay of execution or, or not but I think yeah I think they've just got enough in the first season to be alright Fair enough Mike uh, moving on to the game itself Si I'll start with you uh, let's talk about some of the players who played well and not so well hugely frustrating for, for me you know, I know many of the Castle fans with the performances again of when Yaldum, slight caveat, he was he was played out of position in a in a, in a deeper role in a four two three one, um, but but I've said it all season. Newcastle United can't afford to spend fourteen million pound on anonymous players. Um, Perez was played in his favourite position behind the striker, and he was just he just 
wasn't it, it, ten men basically. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave when I'll leave when you just because I'm interested to see because Richie Smith watched this on telly and right. Sky gave him man, man of the match, match. <laughs> which, which I thought was incredible. And he, he got the assist for the goal. And it was a good cross, but I, I agree, he was totally anonymous for most of the game. And while he, you know, at Leicester we said actually when he moved into midfield he started to contribute to the game. He was good in this game. He not so much. He, he Again, he had very little of the ball. He was far deeper this game than he, he was against He wasn't Leicester. linking up much play, and I think our, our game turned when De Jong came on. Yeah. And suddenly all the players around it, like, he's, like, he's kind of the missing link. As soon as he comes on, all of our t- attacking play like made sense, and passes were being made, and runs were being made, and we were playing football, whereas before that, yeah. you just had like Perez kind of running and, and being an, an individual. You had Wijnaldum lost somewhere else on the pitch. The usual, the same old story, we've got this front five, with nothing linking them, all playing individual games. Mitrovic holding up the ball pretty well. To no one. Ne- never getting <laughs> it to anybody. Like, to nobody, yeah. Whereas De Jong is always playing quite close to him. And when yeah, Mitrovic yeah. gets the ball, De Jong invariably got it from him and was then finding another pass. Like He plays that position yeah. perfectly, especially for a team that don't actually spend that much time on the ball. And we were playing quite a long ball game and it was working with him on the pitch. But prior to that, Wijnaldum just is, you know, just a waste. And Perez as well. They were both very disappointing, again. Yeah, I think um, just on that, I agree. I was utterly when when Wayne Alden was getting um, interviewed after the game, and the presenter was like, you know, Jorginho, congratulations, you're this man of the match. I was like, eh? I thought he had like someone stood next to him, and the camera hadn't panned without the player that he was going to hand the the, 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 man, the man of the match trophy do, but it was just Wayne Alden getting it, and I was thinking, I'm going to second. Like, apart from that assist, he really didn't contribute anything, and I think was. I think his problem, and, I, and I, I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday, is that he doesn't he, he doesn't help himself because he doesn't get himself involved. Like if you if you look at if you compare Wijnaldum to Shelby yesterday, Shelby is constantly asking the back four for the ball. He's, he's constantly literally shouting, "Give me the ball so I can like bring it out and I can do something with it." Like Wijnaldum in that position should be doing the same, or at least asking Shelby for the ball. Or, you know, but he he literally goes and hides. And um, I, you know, I'm a big critic of Sissoko, so that he you know spends most of the game you know looking to Sissoko. But Wijnaldum is arguably one of being out the second half of the season, our most anonymous, invisible player on the pitch. And I just think it's people say, "Oh, you need to get him involved more." Well, no, a player of his quality and his caliber should be getting himself involved more. He should be wanting to get on the ball. He should be wanting to make things happen, and he does. Um, and, and I just, yeah, I was, I was. Uh, I mean, the best friend of the party yesterday was uh, Kirchhoff, the Sutherland. He was uh, he, when he went off the game. The games, uh, the game did change quite substantially. Um, but but yeah, Wijnaldum uh, man the match was was just utterly bizarre. Yeah, I'll just echo echo that a little bit. And uh, often when I was watching the game, one of the most frustrating things that I see maybe it's just me, but I hate it when central midfield ball playing players leave it to the centre backs, get the ball give it to a centre-back and run away. Shelby doesn't do it. Shelby does not leave. You know, Shelby will often try and create space, particularly from Bemba did a couple of times, and play him to move the ball forwards. When Yellen would get the ball, pass it to Lascelles and run away. It's just like, who, who is better? Which which player is, is more likely to make a positive impact? Lascelles or when Yellen? It's just a total negative attitude from him. And I don't think he should be selected. I mean, I know we'll have injuries, but Teote is back, allegedly. For Norwich, um, I, I would play Teote ahead of Wijnaldum all day. Uh, I, I just I don't think he's showed anything 
since I'm trying to think of a game where Norwich. Well, Norwich, but Norwich <laughs> was the start of October. Like yeah. um, I, I'm trying to think of a game where I mean, you played West Ham. Sorry, West Ham at home was the last time you played well. Uh, and it seems to me, Richie, you said there since the start of the year, I think ever since Shelby's come into the team, Wijnaldum doesn't really know his role anymore because before Shelby came in, even though they played different positions, Wijnaldum was the player that everyone tried or looked to for a bit of creativity. Now, even though Shelby basically played alongside the centre-backs yesterday for much of the game, he was forced so deep first half by the tactics of the successful tactics of Samuel Dice in the first half, which I'll come on to. Um, yeah, for me... Wijnaldum he's got, he's got to be dropped um, if, if there's a player who can play in that position I'm unsure about that you know because who got our assist yesterday I, I, I know I know I can understand the uh, intention of what you're saying there um, Alex but, but you know you, 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 you're talking about a team who creates so few chances and one of our actual um, one of our actual you know chances albeit has been disappointing but can create chances and did the, create the chance that uh, got us the goal yesterday if you're taking it now for a defensive player I just I don't know I just think that you, 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 your options are limited as well where those assists are coming from you know uh, fair enough I'll just I'll just come back to you so yesterday you went with um, Wijnaldum in, 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 in the holding two with Shelby and Shelby played you know far deeper than Wijnaldum did for most of the game, so if you played Teode or even Saive alongside Shelby, that would give Shelby that. In my, in, I'm hoping would give Shelby that freedom that we saw when he first joins Newcastle to get forward in the opposition half in the final third and really create problems. Whereas that's that is what you're hoping for, and I, pre- I presume that's what Benitez was hoping for from Wijnaldum yesterday, and it didn't happen. So certainly, I think if if he's if he's intent, and I think he is Benitez from the snippets I've heard, I think he's going to play Perez. Every week, I think he, he really rates him. Uh, I think he's going to play Perez every week. I think only one of Perez and Wijnaldum can play. And if he is going to play Perez, I'd rather see Perez on the wing and De Jong playing Wijnaldum's role behind the, the striker. I think that's a far more um, a far more likely to play well as an attacking unit with that. I mean, for me, it's Perez or Wijnaldum, either or not both. I don't think we're a good enough team to sustain both of them at the moment. Yeah, I think, uh, 
Well, as I said, I don't, I don't even think there's a debate to be had because I, from from what the small, I think he spoke about him twice, but he has, he's given every indication that he sees Perez as a key attacking player. I don't, I don't see him not selecting him uh, for the rest of the season. So he's he's in there, he's in there regardless. Um, Sai, I come on to you. The the other attacking players, how do you, how do you think the fair Sissoko, Mitrovic? I mean, start with Mitrovic. Think it's it has to be said he had a good game. I thought Mitrovic was excellent. I grew think, into the game. He tends to start quite slowly. And, and well, I think as we mentioned first off, he was getting the ball. He was everything that went towards him. He was winning. He was getting his head on it. He was getting his chest on it, and whatever it may be. And first off, for whatever reason, and it's not. I mean, De Jong did come and play well, but this guy. It doesn't really make sense that the rest of the players couldn't get get to the ball. Yet that's what was happening. The ball was getting to Mitrovic. It was coming off him, and then we were just giving it away straight away. Very isolated. But I thought I thought he was excellent, and then he got absolutely the goal he deserved. Great goal as well, fantastic. Yeah. the whole way through. Um, and yeah, I, I thought it was a shite goal from where I was sitting. It just seemed yeah, yeah. like trickle over the line. But watching the replay, it's, it's a really he's, good goal. He's, he's, if you look at where you've got, is it is it Kirchhoff or O'Shea? O'Shea and someone else. He's got two massive blokes on the line, yeah. a massive keeper in front of him who's yeah. jumping, a, a fullback in front of him and he yeah. still manages to thread that ball basically at 180 degree angle to the only place in the goal so I just thought it was a fantastic yeah. great cross as well when you have really well. given us credit but great cross cross great goal it's a shame we didn't see more of that the, the Sunderland team looked a bit shaky when decent balls came into the box um, T- Townsend Townsend I thought played well he was he was our only pacey option he was he was getting down the line he was he was running around a bit um, I think like, like Perez he's doesn't seem to link up with Mitrovic or with with Wijnaldum or whoever's there. Just like he does his own thing, and no one seems to know what he's going to do. Yeah. No one, no one's anticipating where he's going to go. I'll okay. tell you what he's going to do. He's going to cut inside <laughs> <laughs> and probably shoot. Yeah, he's always, he always always seems to do that. He has a shot, it hits a defender, and then we we lose the ball. But nonetheless, he was he just the only one with a bit of guile trying to create stuff. I thought he scares a lot of the he game. scares opposition players yeah. and fans. Like the the worry about his directness. If you could give Perez. It's just so good for that matter. Townsend's directness, yeah. where he just doesn't care if he loses the ball. Yeah. He's like, I am yeah. running at you, whether you like it or not. I think that they, those players could learn a lot from him. Yeah. And as I said, the Sunderland fans I was with yesterday, I thought he had an indifferent game. I didn't think he did badly. I think yeah. he's, he's obviously he's still coming back from injury. It was his first start um, for a while, and probably since Chelsea, actually. And I thought he was indifferent, and then... The, the two Sunderland fans I was with were both pleased he was being taken off yeah. when I was kind of thinking oh well he's not really done out here um, so that kind of says a lot Shelby we've talked about mostly what's really pissing me off and it's Newcastle fans can't piss you off there's such a diverse range of opinions which I'll come on to on the next player um, <laughs> that it's absolutely fine I mean I put some stuff on Twitter after the match immediately I had people saying what Dion was shite how can you say he's a good player so so they're the same and, and, and all the other stuff I can't understand people criticising John Drew Shelby. Someone, Mark Douglas, the editor of the Chronicle, retweeted a tweet of someone saying, I can't believe we paid actual money for John Drew Shelby. It, and, and I knew this would happen. I said, the day we signed him, I said, watch, he's just one of those players, for some reason, fans, at every club he's been at, get on his back, and I thought he had a good game. Yeah. Playing a, a very, very restrained uh, role. I don't know how you saw it, Sai. I, I really felt for him because there was times where he was picking up the ball, he was trying to rile people up, he was getting it right, gives the ball right, and he was looking up, and there was just nothing on, there was no movement. He was looking out to the left, Sissoko, how I get yourself, get yourself down the line? No, nothing right, I'll turn back the other way. He looks down the other line, Townsend's already made his run, he's offside or something. 
and he's, he's, he's really struggling for options Genie nowhere near him he should be linking up with him and playing yeah. next to him and I've, I've really felt from him he's, he's doing everything he's running the midfield and I don't think he really he put a foot wrong um, and you can tell he, he cares <laughs> he's, yeah, he's obviously he really really worked up really well, we're, we're, a, we're a hell of a weaker relegation battle side without him and our in, in, your, in your team that's a, that's a fact you know what I mean his work rate the way he chases down ball the way he's always looking for a positive pass and he is he's always looking to pass the ball forward and I think uh, I think um, Dodger you, you, you made the point um, I think after his debut of like when was the last time Newcastle had a player who literally just wants to just pass the ball forward try the ambitious pass okay yeah. it's not going to work out it's not going to work out all the time but, but they, they don't but you know you, you've got to you've got to take that chance and you know it, again I think he, he Shelby's not he, he's, he's not used to playing like such a defensive role which we are asking to do you know we are we are asking to play that uh, a role where he is essentially sitting in front of the back hole in many respects and he is more comfortable going forward and, and uh, you know I just yeah I, people who say like you know how can't believe we paid money for him it's just you know we are take him out of our team at the minute and we just become a much much bigger relegation battle inside you know yeah, after it's just it's it's really and it shouldn't bother me as much as it does because it's just stupid people on social media. But it's when when people like I mean I've got not, no no beef with Mark Douglas, but like I just got you know even given that that line a semblance of credibility, it's just like yeah he's got to get better, he's got to improve. Like you know Don Joe Shelby probably didn't sign for Newcastle to play in, you know standing next to Lascelles for most of a, a derby against Sunderland, but he gets on with it. He, he he does his best. He's captain. He's still a young lad, twenty three. Um, and it, like if, if Benitez stays, and Benitez signed him as well for Liverpool. If Benitez stays, um, I think I think he could be one of the best players in, in Europe. I mean, that's a bit of a bold statement. But if he stays and, and can work with Benitez, his range of passing and his ability, I, I can't. You, you, you're literally getting into the David Silva territory of players who are able to make the kind of forward passes that that he can. Um, albeit we can't see it's because of the road he's been asked to play at the moment so it just pissed us off that and I thought we had a good game um, I would like to see as he said if Teodé's fit I'd like to see him he's a huge loss Teodé yeah. for all this, the criticism he's a, that West Ham game uh, when you know West Ham let's not forget are probably the fourth best team in England they are aren't they I think they are if you look at the results the, the momentum West Ham are the fourth best team in England and should finish fourth by rights this season ahead of Manchester City. I really hope they would be fourth now if they hadn't been robbed uh, at the weekend. Um, and I think John Joe Shelby made West Ham's look midfield look look out look pathetic. He absolutely bossed that game. Yeah. And there's not many midfielders in the Premier League that do that single-handedly, albeit he had two alongside him. But he's a he's a centre who can score a goal as well. And I want to see him get on the score sheet because yeah. he can shoot. <laughs> and we haven't got any midfielders that can shoot. Um, speaking of mis- midfielders, I can't shoot. <laughs> Uh, big, big Musa. Uh, <laughs> just here's my bit. I don't know which one of you wants to come in first on this. God, I knew you'd want to. So you just like, yeah, right. He was poor first half yesterday, as were the rest of the team. He's been asked to play left wing, I think, because of callback. Because um, he, you know the manager obviously thinks right. We don't have a left back. Um, Sogo is, is a despite what people think. I think he's he handy player defensively. Um, and that's proven by the lack of goals we concede down the right and the number of attacks that go up the right, actually. Um, I think, you know, unfortunately, 
moving Sissoko over to the left had negated Yanmat as an attacking threat um, and also negated Sissoko but he was don't get us wrong he was poor as was everyone else in the first half I thought he was very good second half he really worried Sunderland the few the couple of bursts he made and he slotted in the left back played well he made a couple of really good defensive contributions which I know listen it's not his job it is one playing left back but that's not why he's paid the money he is Again, I'll just uh, I'll quote Niall Penfold, um, my, my son and supporting friend, who, who at the end of the game said, don't you get loads of shit on social media for sticking up for Sissoko? I went, yes, I do. And he went, he's your best player. <laughs> like, he, he is your best player. And I think he, he didn't mean that as he has been the best player on the pitch today. Um, and he probably means a lot of what the Newcastle fans who strongly dislike him think that he does have the attributes, although you disagree slightly. Richie with that but um, I honestly didn't see any problem with his um, performance yesterday and I know it's not the most reliable source but whoscored.com which is an aggregator of stats rated a man of the match from both sides in terms of his contribution defensively and offensively to the game so I thought we had a reasonable game I wouldn't say he's man of the match I thought he had a good game and I, I was impressed with his commitment um, to play in left back and at the end of the game he, he sprinted across the pitch 40 yards to dispossess Barini, albeit on Ben Benitti passed the ball to him to score in the last <laughs> second. But I just thought that was, yeah, maybe, you know, this is a guy who does take his responsibilities seriously. Go on then, Richie. Um, got to agree with you. First off, he was uh, shocking. Second half, I thought he did a pretty decent, decent game. Uh, I actually felt so much more reassured with him playing fullback yeah. than, uh, than when we had Colback there. I, I think a lot of it is his pace. You know, Sissoko is our fastest player I, 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 in fact I can't really remember a player that who was quicker than Sissoko when he gets to full full speed yeah. uh, he, he, I've never seen anyone outrun him on a, on a football pitch um, I think it's Tom Martin was our best player if our best player is someone who hasn't really got a first touch who hasn't really got a trick who isn't really very skillful uh, I just find that pretty hard to buy a new I, I just think he's I don't think he's our best player I think he's a as I've always said I think he's a he's an athlete with very minimal um, like technical football ability and I think his his pace and power obviously is a, is a thing that kind of gets him gets him through um, but yeah I, I think it would be uh, harsh to kind of just you know, point the finger at him um, so, so I think you know there's, there's, a, there's a point Richie I just have to say this I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter but someone's zoomed in on when we scored the goal on his face <laughs> to prove that, you know, quote unquote, prove that he doesn't care. And it's like the, the, the lengths. Uh, listen, I can't. I, obviously, I disagree with much of what you say, but I can understand where you, how you've come to that assessment based on his performances and that. I think, yeah, I think in being our best player and what you're saying, probably somewhere in the middle. But the lengths some fans go to to discredit him. Does it even happen at other football clubs? Like, do, 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 like it's the same. Shelby's the next one. I said before, Shelby is the next Sissoko when Sissoko eventually goes because he will, um, whether whether by force or, or let him go because his you know his, his contract's up um, a couple of years and he'll probably not sign another one. But uh, yeah, I just I posted Sissoko played well on Twitter and I just got instantly five tweets. What? <laughs> one, one tweet said he was only any good because we're hiding a left back out of the way of, of, of the, the football, and it's just like how am I? It's like everyone, by the way, you still. I do appreciate your opinions. I'm not saying don't tweet if you disagree with what I say. You're more than welcome. But I just I just feel a bit like yes, he's a bit of an asshole. Yes, he underperforms like the rest of the squad, but. 
I would much rather have him in the team than out of it. Um, and he, I, I don't know whether Wijnaldum's now drawn level with him for a number of assists, but he has been up to up to yesterday. He was the leading. He had the most shots, uh, the most crosses, and the most assists for a team that can't score any goals. I think he has to get back to playing right wing. Can I just talk about one other player, please? That probably probably wasn't on the agenda, but I think it's worth saying. Of course, yeah. In our uh, current predicament of injured fullbacks, I've always said since day one, Vernon Anita is a fullback. He's not a centre midfielder. Yesterday, when he came on at right back, I felt relatively pleased with with happening there. Like he's he, <laughs> to kind of take a quote from before. He's out of the way a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he was. It was a good ball. It was a good ball. for that matter he's been yeah, off well, injured exactly. I mean, I'm going to talk about this in a second, but Anita's introduction of the game was tactical genius. And I'm going to ask you, Richie, about Benitez because if it, Benitez saw Benitez, Aladay saw Anita, and he thought, right, going to get myself a centre forward on to play left wing because <laughs> he's so much bigger than him, and that ended up giving us the goal because all of the Sunderland fans that they're, they're, they're quite rightly fuming with that sub. Because Wijnaldum absolutely didn't die, and Kasri is a far better. Who's that's his natural position, and he hadn't had any defensive problems all day. Um, I, I don't know because I remember when he came on fullback last season, start of last season against Palace, um, and we, we conceded two goals. I don't, I don't think they were necessarily his fault, but they just came down his side. And I feel that everyone at the club witnessed that when Palace got back to three three that day and thought, right, that's the myth of Anita at fullback. I, I, I rate him so so poorly as a central midfielder um, that you're probably right. He, I, I, I don't know about left back. I think that might be a bit strong because he's he's right footed, but definitely definitely right back. I, I thought yesterday, Sasuke Sasuke and Anita playing full back, we're going to get beat here, and they both they both played all right. Um, I don't think you want to be going Le- Leicester away with Anita at right back against Mares, but. Uh, you know, he could put it this way: he couldn't be any worse a right back than Callback is a left back. Mm. Yeah. I think it would be really inconsistent of us to just suddenly start saying that we think Anita's a footballer again because we've been saying all season <laughs> yeah. pretty much that he's not a footballer. So to, to remain consistent, yeah. I still think he's shite. 
He is, he is shite. Uh, but I, I agree with Richie to an extent. I would, if we're going to go and attack Norwich, which I doubt, <laughs> if we're gonna, I would probably rather see Anita in there than Stephen Taylor at right back, yeah. who will probably have to play there um, if he's not going to play Anita. But it's, you know, yesterday suggests. And again, well, let, let's move on to Benitez, um, Richie. Like, I, I, it's hard to be anything other than impressed, not with the performance. Um, but with the the reaction to go behind, and it might not sound like enough uh, a lot to fans of clubs who are competently managed and run, but Newcastle, you know, it was Pardew's problem not being able to come back from behind ever, even for a draw. <laughs> if we if we conceded the first goal, we got beat. Um, what did you make of the team selection, uh, his tactical approach to the game, and and the subs eventually? I noticed about that substitution that when when Colback went off, before like he'd even started moving, Sissoko immediately moved to left back as if he knew that's what was happening, and it was almost like Benitez had already planned this out. Like if, like, if we need, training, yeah, kind of if we need to take Colback off, we're going to need someone to go in he's there. Like, Sissoko, yeah, shite at left back, so probably going to yeah. have to sub you. Yeah. It's like he's, he's already told Musa, like, listen, it, it might come out that you have to go into left back, and he, he knew, like. No way was that ever going to be the case under McLaren. Like, right, let's think ahead here. What happens if Colback gets booted? Yeah. Benitez has actually thought about possibilities, and it it, it looked more premeditated than than any substitution that we've had all season, yeah. like for years. <laughs> no, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right, mate. I thought exactly the same. That it, 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 with Benitez, it looks like there is a plan B and a plan C. You know, maybe even a plan D. That there are there are there's obviously clearly things that he he thinks of. If this isn't, if on the tra- in, in training during the week, he obviously thinks, if this isn't working, this is what I'll try next, and if that doesn't work, this is what I'll try next. We, we never had that in McLaren. It was, I mean, you, you barely even had one game plan A, to be honest, in the McLaren, but there was never ever, there was never ever really a solution to when things go wrong. It was just putting um, Sissoko in a different position every yes. five minutes. Like, <laughs> Sissoko left wing, Sissoko right wing, Sissoko centre mid, Sissoko up front. Like, yeah. that's all McLaren had. Contributed and just given their defence a bit more of a, a 
something to think about as well as having to think about Mitrovic. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, I think, I think Benitez, uh, I think he got it. Uh, maybe, maybe could have started the young in hindsight, but, but you know, I think overall it was a, um, a good positive initial start eleven. I think as subs were, were, were very tactically astute as well. Yeah, uh, I'm going to talk about Allardyce now, but I, did, I think on, on Benitez there, all of Allardyce's subs were a reaction to Benitez's subs. So he took off Kabul for Roche when he, there wasn't any obvious injury. I mean, that, that, I don't know, I don't follow Sunderland, but there might have been. But there wasn't, a, either wasn't a flashpoint where like, right, yeah, Kabul's injured here. It's almost, I think, and that 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 kind of um, proactive mindset from Benitez. Um, I keep getting the wrong. Yeah, Benitez. How can I Im- influence this game? Is different to the McLaren and Allardyces of this world of shit. We're losing. <laughs> what am I going to do? I have to try something different, and I didn't. I didn't get the feel like you say. Townsend. We were at Leicester on Monday, and I, do, I don't really think it came across on TV. But we all said he didn't look fit when he came on. He, he looked nice. So I don't know how fit Townsend was in terms of taking him off. Because I agree with you, he was struggling. And I think I, I think it's we, we're just on the game for a minute. We're really unlucky to be robbed of the last 10 minutes um, because of Mitrovic's injury when there was only one winner. Um, I, I just say to Sai, I wasn't with the, with the lads in the season ticket seat as usual. Uh, just after we scored, Mit, um, what, Yedlin lost the ball in the uh, full-back position on, the, on our left-hand side. Mitrovic robbed him and the ref gave a free kick and it was just like, that was a, that would have been a fantastic chance. I mean, Sai, you saw it. It was never a free kick, was it, in a million years? He just fell over. And then Mitrovic, he, he was so shocked that the referee blew the whistle that he just like seemed to walk away laughing because it was just ludicrous. Nobody for one second thought that was a free kick. Yeah, I, just, I would have backed Cissé's movement and in, in kind of ability in the box to, to cause them problems for yeah. five or six minutes stoppage stop time, which we didn't really get. So that, that was a shame. But uh, I'll, I'll talk about Allardyce now because I, I had to sat there at half-time despondent yesterday I had to turn to me friend and say listen Allardyce has got this spot on uh, today in the first half he had his front three of Defoe Barini <laughs> as the Sunderland fans are singing and Kazri you couldn't say Sunderland pressed Newcastle because they didn't they were very compact they flooded the middle of the pitch which was pointed out by Alan Shearer and anyone who watched the game most of Newcastle's play went through the middle um, so, so Kirchhoff did do a good job of, of, of quelling that threat but he recognised that Wahad and Bemba good on the ball Lascelles terrible on the ball and Shelby who wants the ball he just said to Defoe Kazri and Barini close those three down so they basically played in two threes at a 4-3-3 turned into a 4-3-3 without the ball and got his front three <coughs> don't worry about it don't worry about defending close those three down there's going to be no one in behind the, the three behind could, could play a little bit higher up but still protect the back four and we didn't have any answers. The, the solution was obvious and Benitez was probably doing his nut in the first half. The solution to totally, utterly quell that was go wide. Because <laughs> if you're going to play a pressing with a front three and then leave three in midfield behind, you're going to leave yourself exposed. So first first half, Allardyce, you know, you could tell Sunderland were a streetwise team like most Allardyce sides are, unless he's managing Newcastle. Um... They were they were good in the first half. They weren't great. The way the way Allardyce is going on, so there should have been a few more up at half time. But I don't buy that. I, I still think Bardafoe's half chance when he hit the side net and, and he stretched for one. There wasn't really any chances. Rob Elliott not really made any saves. He's pushed one over from a corner, which it would have been criminal. Well, you wouldn't. You just don't concede goals like that, do you? 
Um, so I don't think I think Sunderland managed to be competent, and Allardyce being Allardyce has talked that up as, as playing some kind of new kind of like Brazilian Barcelona-based football, <laughs> where they should have been winning five 0 Second half, he bottled it big time. To e, even right from the kickoff, he sacked off that that front three pressing. He completely sacked it off. Now it could be for a number of reasons. It could be that they were knackered. It could be you know they've spent the whole the whole of the first half pressing. But let's not forget, Sam Allardyce went on national radio last week and said Sunderland could not get any fitter as a football team. He kind of had a bit of a dig at Benitez, saying, "Oh, you know, I think it was Alan Brazil and Talk Sports said to Allardyce, um, you know, Rafa's got them in every single day for training. Are you are you doing the same thing?" He went, "No, no, I'm giving them plenty of days off because, to be honest, we can't get any fitter as a football club. So I don't really see that. You know, I can't see him saying to the front three who were so successful at pressing the game." Um, listen, drop back. It completely isolated Defoe. Defoe was a non-event in the second half after causing his problems in the first half, and he came out after the match and said, um, "and said the players got too deep." And well, so are they ignoring you? Is, is, is Allardyce expecting the, the Sunderland fans and the public of Great Britain and the rest of the world to think that his players ignored his instructions in the second half not to play deep? Now you're always naturally as a football team, particularly defending the lead away from home. You're going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. It just happens when the opposition come on anymore. But Sunderland got so deep, it was they, they, could, they could not get out uh, of, of their own half. Newcastle were playing better, moving the ball quicker. So, it, you know, perhaps it was, it was natural. But like I said at the start of the show, I, I can't believe that Allardyce dug the players into the players so much, absolved himself of responsibility, saying, you know, it's criminal not to walk away from your three points. Well, he didn't really create any clear-cut chances. The goal wasn't a clear-cut chance, was it? It was a bit of a... It was a badly managed set-piece by Newcastle where they got the bounce of the ball. They had a couple of other chances. And that, that, that save, brilliant save by Elliot, was the result of uh, three or four outrageous pieces of fortune for Sunderland. They tried to do a 1-2, cocked it up. The Van Aanholt tried to take it on, cocked it up. Carsby tried to take on Yamat, cocked it up. Yet somehow... Van Arnholt followed himself six yeah. yards out with the goal gaping. Listen, that's football, it happens, but it's it's not exactly Sunderland tearing Newcastle apart. And for Allardyce to basically say his players have let them let themselves down again, what's he supposed to do? All this kind of thing. I just I just think it's the it's they're the words of a bloke who is more worried than than many people think about Sunderland's prospects of staying up. No clean sheets in seventeen games. They can't score. I mean, listen, we're we're terrible as well. This isn't me saying any castle about the sun, I think we'll stop up and they won't. But I'm guessing many Sunderland fans feel the opposite, which is absolutely fair enough. But for him to say that the players basically lost themselves again, he sent on three subs. Surely you say to the three subs, listen, lads, you are too deep. Obviously, you can be heard from the sidelines as well, but lads, you, John O'Shea, captain, get on that pitch and tell them they're too deep. Tell them to stand 10 yards further forward. If the back four move 10 yards further forward, the rest of the team will get up and support Defoe. And just, I don't know, the, the bloke the bloke is absolutely odious. Like, you know, Mick Martin, editor, says um, Southern fans think he's a good fit for their club. Yeah, so do I, <laughs> in every respect. Um, we'll move on, because we're, we're, we're 50 minutes in. Um, Sigh, the day you said to me when you arrived tonight at my house that you were still nagged. <laughs> is it in any way an enjoyable day? Well, there's, there's lots of reasons why I was nagging. I mean, I'd, I'd been out on the Saturday and then I had a foot, because of the derby, my Sunday morning game kicked off at half eight. <laughs> Absolutely ludicrous. So I played 90 minutes. Did you lose? Uh, it was a one-one draw. It was a one-one draw. Um, played 90 minutes at 8.30 in the morning and then went straight to the pub. So for <laughs> obvious reasons, by about six o'clock when I, when I decided to bail from town, I was absolutely exhausted. And I'm still tired now. 
But I, I don't know. Is the derby? You've asked me: Is the derby getting any better or worse? Is it, is it any different? The derby is worse now because of the last three years. Like you've gone from like really anticipating it and getting excited about it to being just dreading the whole day, and that's happened over the course of six defeats essentially. Uh, I I hate the derby. It's too stressful. I was worried all day in the pub before the game. Got to the match, nervous start. Sunderland scored. Oh, it's getting worse. Getting worse. And you must. I've never felt as pleased with a 1-1 draw as I did though like leaving the match you couldn't stop smiling even though it's, we're not out of trouble at all and it's just a draw after six defeats it's not, it's not great at all but it's not the rot it's not the rot and, and we were all like just grinning even though it, it's, it's a strange feeling you didn't know how to feel it's like crap we're still three well, points I think off I, think, I don't think it's just the result if we'd have ended the game conceding or even if we'd scored in the 60th minute but we were the better team at the yeah. end of that game there was only one team going to win that game yeah. Uh, at the end of it even before the equaliser there's only one team but um, I just I, I kind of asked you that question because um, I've never really got and this will be a good one for you Richie actually because you, you, you live outside of the northeast now I've never really understood from both sides I mean Sunderland don't come close to selling out to any, I mean they don't even sell out against us for God's sake <laughs> like and that, that's the biggest attendance of the season yeah. the, the, you know people, people asking for tickets people paying silly money why on earth are people so keen on both on both sides of the divide? Sunderland fans are the same. Why on earth are people so keen to go to what is historically such a dreadful fixture, <laughs> both in terms of quality and in terms of the the actual result from any castle point of view? I can kind of understand it now, but historically, ever since Sunderland finished seventh, the only games to sell out are against Newcastle United. So it's not just—I mean, we sell out other games as well, obviously, but. Richie, what like you said, you turned down a ticket. Was it was were there those reasons that I've just given, or would you have got back if you could? Um, I mean, I've been to the last four home derbies, and uh, <laughs> I've said after the last two that I'm, huh. said, I'm not going. I'm not, I'm not going to go to the next one. I've, I've, I've had enough of them. Um, but if I who am I kidding? If I, if I could have gone, I would have. I would have gone. Um, I think uh, you know. Has done for um, a while. You know, the none of the derbies down here come close to it as far as the hype, how kind of the, the animosity between the fans, the build up of the game. It, Arsenal Spurs. It's you know these these are fixtures that they, the kind of the, the game comes on the day. You know the, the game gets played out, and, and that's the kind of the last you hear of them. Yeah. Um, it's the same with uh, you know you've got all your kind of like. Yeah, um, West Ham and Spurs, and yeah, you know all, all, yeah, all these like mini London derbies, and, and you compare the height over compare the Northeast derby, and none of them come close. And I, I think it's, um, I think a lot of it, to be honest, comes down to the fact that, especially now, there are two clubs that really have not had a lot to shout about, and it's kind of like a, in, in in recent years, and it gets to a fixture where it's kind of like something. A bit different. It's not just the same old shite of right. Yeah, go to watch Newcastle. Probably get beat. Go to watch Sunderland. Probably, probably, uh, probably get beat. Go and watch a shite game where the Newcastle play shite football and you know get a get a shit result. It, it, it maybe just gives fans a bit of a something extra to get the teeth into. Something to get actually excited about. You know, as we as we say, the the the, the fits themselves. No one actually seems to look forward to them unless you. You know, a, a Raji who basically <laughs> the, only, the only reason you actually got your investment going to the game is so you can basically 
like shout and scream at the team but <laughs> like but um, uh, so I, you know I think I think we what have to kind of I guess take some pride that, that in my opinion is still the biggest derby in England you know um, uh, I don't I don't really know which of the derby maybe the Merseyside derby comes slightly close to it but again the, 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 I mean you look at the Manchester derby yesterday Oh, yeah, we're it, talking about. It, yeah, just absolutely nothing there. You just got you got fans who basically I think don't even you know you got Man U who basically see playing Liverpool as probably a bigger picture. <coughs> Man City fans who maybe see it as a bit more of a bigger dog, bit more more of a bigger bigger occasion than, than Man U fans do. But essentially, both sets of fans actually all they care about really is like you know kind of how do I, how do I qualify, qualify for Europe in the Champions League? That's the important thing. Um, so I think you need to take, take some pride in the fact that we have still got a, a, a big rivalry there. That, that there, it is a genuine rivalry, um, and yeah, nothing. In my opinion, nothing really comes as close uh, comes close to it in, in, in the country. Sorry, that was a hell of a point, Richie. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was going to cut in a few times, but I thought I'd let you get it all off your chest. Um, yeah, you took you took the word Raji right out of my mouth, and it kind of goes with what Dodzy said as well, which is more people come out for this game than any other and I mean this in the nicest possible way but like just coming out the ground after the match I couldn't help but notice how many Rajis and that's just the, the, the kind of word for them were out in town people you would never expect to be out on a match day there have not been any other matches it's, it's just bonkers it's really really bizarre you had loads of women out as well dressed ridiculously like <laughs> it becomes like an August bank holiday it's like a 30 degree sunny day and everyone's out at the pub and getting mortal people were absolutely smashed all over the city at, at, at four o'clock in the afternoon and you could tell that half of them hadn't been to the game. It's a really strange day. It's a really strange setup. Every pub had the Adam Johnson song going. The Sunderland fans are singing Adam Johnson. By all accounts, Sunderland all the way to and from Newcastle on the Metro were singing the Adam Johnson song. It, it's, it's just really strange behaviour from people. It's but a, then, you, see people you, see, you see people on Twitter eight o'clock in the morning Cracking open my first can. What a way to have breakfast! <laughs> it's just why? like why? why? Yeah, exactly. Why? Why, why? why? <laughs> why having a can at eight in the morning? Like, I'm up to no good on Derby days. Like everyone has to, everyone has to be more ridiculous than the next person. It's it's a very strange setup. Nonetheless, when I got inside the ground just before kick off and the, the the noise that was coming out of St James's Park, and for the first ten minutes, I, I got goosebumps. It was so like it yeah. was cla- I mean, I haven't heard it since the Derby last season. Basically, the stadium that bouncing, the stadium that up for a game. Every single fan was on their feet. It was class. So. And it's still a special occasion. Some people maybe try and spoil it, but at the end of the day, there's nothing quite like it. And that, and basically, until Sunderland scored, I was just you know kind of just lost in the in the moment. And it was it was amazing. Yeah, fair enough. I, I'm just going to repeat what I said to you pre-podcast. side the Newcastle and Sunderland fans love to pretend that we'll have less in common than we than we do. Realistically, we're the same people, like in the same part of the country with the same problems. And we, like when we left the stadium like this season, what sticks out of my my mind is the bloke with his daughter, his young daughter, who got his arse out in his cock. Like 
like to, to the Newcastle fan that now that that's one bloke. But if someone says what were the Sunderland fans like, I'm like unbelievable. You'll never you'll never guess what this bloke did. And I'm sure Sunderland fans have to put up with the same from us. Like Sai, you said there was just loads of nutcases walking around. Offering them out. It's the same when we go to the stadium. Like we'll get off the metro, and there'll be blokes behind a police, a cordon of police horses, asking for a fight, <laughs> yeah. like a, a fictional fight where which they know isn't going to happen. And I just, I suppose, just sh- shouting really weird stuff about yeah. like Adam Johnson, Jimmy Savile. It's like, oh, it's, it's, it's just, it's just a, it's just a weird day. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't think you get this kind of behaviour in derbies. Any, both in the ground, the noise levels, both the build up. The, the aftermath and, and, and on the day it's almost like a unique sporting day in, in Great Britain I mean Celtic like Rangers probably come as close but they play each other that regularly though it doesn't it's more, yeah. and it's a lot more nasty well the, the time we had Dobby is nasty but it's a lot more dangerous like, like you can't imagine like a load, of, um, a load of Chelsea fans coming out yeah. descending on the city of London not going to the match just descending yeah. <laughs> on all of the pubs in the city and just <laughs> behaving like arseholes <laughs> like, it's just so strange Mike you're still there? Is he, is he still there? Has he? Mike, press unmute. I am. Yeah. <laughs> there he is. Took your time there to wake you up. How does it compare? Like what we've just described there, if you were listening. How does that compare to the to your derby? Because I know yours is pretty tasty. Interesting insights, and quickly before we move on to your Premier League partner, uh, if if both clubs go down, who do you think would fare better and why? Obviously, a lot probably depends on the managers because both managers have indicated they would not stay. Manager, um, that will that will be disciplined. 
that I will play this back to you when we win the league in January <laughs> uh, next season uh, no, only joking I, 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 agree, I agree with you um, but you did also tell me the exact same thing when we went down in 09 you <laughs> constantly saying oh, I think you'll struggle next season but yeah yeah but, you, you, yeah, if, but I think if you look at well-selected, in my opinion, Premier League talking points by you. So do you want to t- uh, start off talking about the kind of the after-effect of the Manchester derby and Louis van Gaal? Yeah, I, I thought I'd indulge it, Dodgy. I know you've huh. been looking forward to this for a while and you haven't had a chance to bend your spleen on, uh, on LVD for quite a while, so I thought I'd, uh, thought I'd tee you up. Um, but I thought, uh, I, watched, uh, I watched the derby, um, the, the, the Manchester derby this week, and I just thought it really, really summed Man United up. Oh, 
Yeah, if it's all right with uh, Richie and Sai, I think I'll take this one, and you can take Man City. <laughs> first of all, in the bathroom. <laughs> first of all, your um, I think your stats a little bit misleading because you're talk, you're you're talking about Chelsea and Liverpool as toxic top six sides. Uh, those sides currently occupy the ninth and tenth positions in the Premier League table. Chelsea have two points more yeah, than West Brom. Okay. Yeah. No, I, it, no, I think I think it's a valid. I, I agree with your point you're making, and the, and the overall point you make is absolutely correct regarding their style of play. Um, but I, I, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to big up too much the record because if you look at the actual top six, which includes Man United, they have picked up three wins um, in about ten fixtures against those sides, and that was Spurs on the opening day when they won the game without a shot, a shot on target, <laughs> and were comfortably inferior. Um, the beaten Man City, who since uh, Pellegrini was, you know, it was, it was announced Pellegrini is leaving. They have played eight, lost five, uh, drawn one, and won two. The two were against Sunderland and Villa, so they're in free fall. Uh, they beat Arsenal in the middle of a two wins in nine run for Arsenal. So the the the, the half faced these sides at what I would consider good times to play them. I know I'll have any excuse to slag off Van Hal, but. Um, I don't think the record is, 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 is as impressive, even though, as you say, Mike, it could, could quite easily be used as a tool to beat Van Hall with rather than a positive thing because of the, the performance against the other sides in the league. Um, as, I, as I said earlier on in the season, it looks like it may be as little as eight points less will be needed on average uh, to qualify for the Champions League this year than, than the Premier League uh, since the top four places started qualifying for the Champions League um, so even if even if they make fourth even if they made fourth place it's still a, a massive massively underperforming season for Man United last season I was hugely critical of his style of play maybe more than his results um, they got fourth last season they bombed in the Champions League they bombed in the Europa League uh, I, I don't see the only reason that Van Gaal would keep his job at, at Man United is because much like Lee Charnley at Newcastle and Lee Charnley is pretty much almost relegated Newcastle to protect his own skin um, Ed Woodward he'll have had two managerial appointments now since you know he went from being commercial director to managing director or whatever his title is um, chairman or, or, or whatever uh, it'll represent two serious failures on his behalf um, this is a club that uh, I don't know how many that you know. You get a lot of clubs where Newcastle have had like twenty-five managers. Clubs like Man United and uh, you know Spurs. A few of the ones that have, have literally had about twelve managers in their history. Um, so I think I think Woodward's uh, desire to save his own skin may save Van Hal. But just say to even even if they got fourth, which I don't think they will, because West Ham are a, be- a better side than them, um, as they proved at Old Trafford the other week in the cup when they should have gone through. Um, even if they did make fourth or fifth, it's one of those questions. It's like Rogers this season. The time to cite Rogers uh, by Liverpool was last season because a slow start to next season, and, and you've lost. He sacked. There's no way Van Hal, whatever happens to the rest of this season, or whatever you think's likely to happen with the, the, the style of football they're playing, uh, chances are if they start badly next season, he's gone. And then how many more players is he going to get to sign this summer? You lose a full pre-season and you're right off another year. So. 
Uh, Woodward has got to choose his next move carefully, but the the time to sack Van Hal, I think, has been and gone. Uh, yeah, I think I think I think you're right. Actually, the Woodward point is is what I was going to move on to. I think I'd be a bit more worried um, if I was a Man United fan around um, that indecision. Um, yeah. If reports are to believe, and it was reported fairly widely um, in the press over the weekend about about them having that uh, pre-contract agreement with Mourinho. And if that's true, if they've got so he gets basically if he doesn't get appointed by the beginning of May, he gets five minutes. If he doesn't get appointed by the beginning of June, he's got fit, uh, an extra ten million on top of that. Now, if that's true, and and Woodward is is put in place that agreement, which he clearly hasn't followed through because members of the board, whether it's Bobby Charlton as well and, and, and Alex Ferguson um, behind the scenes, have reservations around Mourinho. If that's true, and he's got that indecision and he hasn't acted and he's just letting things drift um, uh, regardless of potentially costing the club money um, it, I would be more worried about that indecision and, and the fact that he doesn't have the confidence or convictions or, or that get up and go to, to go and make something happen Mourinho clearly um, would be open to, to the offer um, I, I, I just think that that is going to get Man United into more trouble if he doesn't act soon they'll drift into the summer and as you say they'll have a poor start the next season Yes, uh, yeah, I think we're kind of in agreement there. We'll best move on because I have, have uh, work to do after this at half nine. So, do you want to talk about Man City and the, and the problems there? Yeah, well, I think just, just a quick one, just following on from, from United. I think City, as we mentioned, yeah, they've had shocking form since they, since they announced the, the Guardiola appointment, and it's, it's obviously undermined Pellegrini, but to be perfectly honest, I think that. The troubles at City run a lot deeper than that. I think Pellegrini has struggled for authority for a, for a lot of this season. Um, I think he was a he was a he was a he, he was a lame duck really for, for the majority of the year. I think everyone knew they'd be courting um, Guardiola um, and were just waiting for the opportunity to, to, for him to come on board. Um, but I think if you look at the, the recruitment, there doesn't seem to be much strategic nouse behind behind this from a, from City. Um, they have an ageing team they, they seem to just buy players um, uh, on a whim and a fancy if they're available and if they get hold of them it doesn't seem to be that that sort of strategy how they how they grow players for a team uh, and, and now they're going to have to do quite a big turnover with, with, with players some of those players not really have any impact they used to you look at the back they don't have much support without company um, the, the full backs are ageing you look, you look at Yoyo Torre as well he's starting to Started to, started to move towards over the hill. I think there hasn't been a strategy from both cheeky Brigiristan um, from Barcelona um, that has been so lauded and, uh, and the work he's done over there. I think there's a lot of, of work for Pep Guardiola to do um, behind the scenes to set that club up. Um, I think it's indicative that every time they've won, the, both times they've won the Premier League, they, they, they've mounted a very poor. Um, and, I, and I think there's just not the infrastructure to be put in place um, for that club to, 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 to consistently challenge and be, be a power in, in, not, in not European football but, but even in, in English football um, so I think there's a lot of building work behind the scenes uh, as opposed to just buying a few last players um, for City um, and, and, and they've got a lot of rebuilding to do Can I, can I just come in there on um, the rebuilding aspect I think it's maybe a little bit understated of how much building Man City is potentially going to have to do this summer. Um, if you look at their start, 
couple of other players like the likes of Las Fernando, who I think when uh, Guardiola comes in, will just clearly see that that is not good enough. I mean, the, the Man City have got a huge, huge. You know, you, I think you could see them spending an absolutely insane amount of money this summer. Um, and yeah, add to that, Guardiola and the kind of player he likes. Uh, you know, he's very specific about the profile of player he wants. You, you add those two things together, and you, you know, you're looking at it. You're just looking at it, potentially a, a huge, huge renovation job at Man City this summer, and, and I think you could see them, you know, spending potentially the most amount of money that I think any club's ever spent in the summer transfer window. I think that there, there is that possibility at this summer. I, I, I think that. Yeah, no, no I, I agree. I think they'll have to spend a lot. It's it's a bit different territory for Guardiola if you look at Barcelona and Bayern. He had a strong nucleus um, of great teams there um, that he obviously did a good job with, but uh, but he hasn't had to do that. The overhaul project that I think he's going to have to do here, that there, there aren't really those young players coming through that would usually keep teams ticking over and a bit of continuity, as he say, which he's going to have to, to rip it up and, and, and start again to a certain extent, uh, which I think it, it, yeah, it's a failure of, of Man City behind the, behind the scenes and not having in place the infrastructure to, to be a to be a really to be a truly big club and, and, and have that Yeah, I think that uh, two very good points uh, made there. That just that does it for today. We've been going on for an hour and twenty minutes now, so uh, longest podcast for a while, uh, which is kind of fitting because it's a big game. Uh, don't know if there'll be a radio show this week. Obviously, there's no game at the weekend, so we'll let you know on Twitter at Pod. Give us a follow. Uh, we'll be down, me, Richie, uh, Mickey Bolland, uh, Green Street. We'll be down at Norwich next weekend. Might squeeze out a podcast after the game or the next day. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, until then, uh, this has been True Faith Weekly Podcast. Thanks for listening. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.